Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the globe. However you got our show today, whether you download it from our website at techcentral.ie, used a uh, smartphone podcast app or are listening to us on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Thank you so much for turning us on and having us as part of your week. Joining me as ever is Editor-in-Chief of Tech Central, Niall Kitson. And this week we're going to be looking in detail at smartphones. But first, Niall, uh, I suppose the most interesting story of the week has been Apple versus the United States government. What is this all about? Yeah, well, as you remember, back in the uh, 2nd of December, there was uh, a mass shooting in San Bernardino in California, uh, where 14 people died and 22 were left injured. Uh, now, the two people responsible were uh, Syed Rizwan Farouk and his wife, Tashfeen Malik. Uh, what there was a very swift investigation done afterwards and the FBI discovered that there was no uh, relationship between these two people and ISIS or any other ex- uh, external terrorist group. This was uh, uh, decided very much just by the two of them that they were going to go out and, and kill people. Um, so uh, the investigation is ongoing and as part of it they said, well, look, Farouk had a, an iPhone 5C. We want to access it to see see." What else he knew? You know, was he talking to people overseas? Did other people know? Uh, was he texting people? Was he emailing people? They kind of know this stuff already. So Apple has said, well, do you know what? Well, first of all, what you what you uh, uh, is asking of us is kind of a nonsense because you've said that this is a homegrown incident anyway, so there's nothing to be gained by uh, doing what you say, you say you're going to do. Uh, and on the second point, you're basically asking us to rewrite iOS 9 to include a backdoor so that, you know, fair enough, you want the material, say, for this case, but uh, for any other case going forward, it's going to require the exact same mechanism if you want the same information. So uh, we're, we're not going to do that. So Tim Cook issued an open letter to uh, Apple customers yesterday uh, where he explained it uh, thusly. He said, specifically, the FBI wants us to make a new version of the iPhone operating system circumventing important security features and install it on an iPhone recovered during an investigation. Now, an investigation could have, you know, could be in the case of somebody that, that has died, uh, say, for example, a spree killer, uh, as in the case that they're looking at. But also, say, Dusty, they, they reckon you've not been filing your taxes properly, you know, or say you you have a, a couple of parking tickets and they think you might have a, a suspect driving history or something like that, that. It could become ridiculously easy to compromise the security on an iPhone. And Apple has said, no, absolutely not. I mean, if you try and enter uh, a false code into an iPhone 10 times, like it will, it wipes the data. You know, that's one of the very basic, basic security features it has. Uh, and now the, the FBI are saying, well, yeah, we want this completely um, uh, compromised version of iOS that we want to put on any device. Okay. So Apple have said, no, that's, that's completely ridiculous. And it would hurt Apple's bottom line if they, if they ended up shipping uh, effectively faulty faulty software with their iPhones. Uh, and, you know, once you set that precedent with the American government, what about other less, uh, more oppressive regimes, if you will? Do you think this is a sign of how good the encryption is on, uh, on mobile phones and various apps and stuff like that, that actually Apple genuinely cannot break in? 
Uh, I think it's a sign that Apple values the privacy because for everything, there's always a, a hack for it. I mean, you remember when the when the iPhone came out first, uh, people were jailbreaking it because they didn't want to run it on. I think it was AT and T was the the first network it came out on. They they didn't want it running on that network, so they jailbreaked it, and that, you know it was almost one of the first things that happened uh, when the iPhone came out. So for everything, there will be a hack for it. But uh, when you look at something like say the Black Phone, which is a Linux based phone, I think it's an Android based base phone uh, designed specifically for security. I mean, this is this is a phone that's designed not to be hacked. Mm. Uh, it's, security is always going to be a selling point. And the minute that you know or suspect that a device isn't secure, you can forget about it. I mean, if you look at one of uh, Apple's biggest growth markets is China, um, a society with tremendous problems with censorship and religious freedom and this sort of thing at the moment. So uh, it's very important that you be able to say that if you buy one of our devices, your communications are safe and secure. It's a massive mm. selling point. It's funny because uh, even after last week's program where we were talking about, you know, safe, secure, private communications across the internet and the various apps and websites and stuff that you could do it, I still don't trust very many of them. <laughs> and then and then this story came along with Apple, which is like, you know, an off-the-shelf you know, bit a bit a bit a bit of tech. Uh, the uh, encryption is so good on it that even the FBI or the CIA can't break into it. Uh, I, I just think it's interesting the way it's all kind of playing out. And I suppose you know, if Apple were to turn around, and go, oh, okay, we'll let you break into this. It does mean that uh, there's been a Mac there door there all along, and essentially every single iPhone in the world will be um, will be faulty, wouldn't they? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's all right for the moment. But yeah, I, this is a great public relations coup for Apple right now. And yeah. A lot of people I wouldn't have had time for Apple before are going, oh. Well, do you know what? Even I, and you know that I rarely, rarely have anything good to say about Apple, uh, other than the fact they make very, very good hardware. Um, but I actually, I'm impressed. I, I, I'm delighted to see Apple standing up to somebody as powerful as the United States government. Um, another thing that uh, we wanted to chat about uh, this week was uh, you've got a website, justwatch.ie, is it? That's it. Yeah, website uh, launched a couple of weeks ago now called JustWatch.ie. It's very handy. Mm. If you are a subscriber to a couple of streaming services, like say you're on Netflix, but you're on Mubi, you're on maybe Volta as well, and you sit down one night and you're like, God, I'd love to watch this film, and you're thinking, where can I find it? Type it in, type in your film into Just Watch and it will tell you which sites it is available to watch on. So you don't have to go to sites individually and find out what's where. You will just get a sync answer back. That is not bad. I actually, do they have an app? Because I think I might have downloaded that app already during the week. I know there's an American equivalent called Can I Stream It or something like that. Right. But, uh, yeah, just watch.ie will, uh, the important thing is that yes. it includes Volta, which it's is a the fantastic, yes, it is, it is a fantastic system, uh, and I love the thought of it. Uh, the only problem is that anything that Netflix adds to their system is rubbish, usually. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> this is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. If you listen to our show, the chances are that you have at least one social media account, be it Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Snapchat, Tumblr, or whatever sprung up in the length of time it took me just to name that lot. Mostly, you use social networks to keep up with friends and family, and sometimes to make a business contact. But could you be doing more to further your career using just social media? One man who says, of course, is a social marketing strategist, a brand evangelist, and acting CMO of Brand Innovators, 
Ted Rubin. Ted is going to be the keynote speaker at the very first Social Media Summit, which is taking place at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin next week, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, 1st and 2nd of March. Ted is famous for his energetic social media presence and is the most followed chief marketing officer on Twitter, according to Social Media Marketing Magazine. His latest book as well, How to Look People in the Eye Digitally, went on sale last year and is selling very well. And he's also famous for, well, he's kind of famous for making famous the phrase return on relationship. And he's kind of brought it to mass media. He's joining me on the phone right now to tell us more about it. Uh, Tell me, uh, Ted, firstly, the phrase return on relationship uh, that you have made famous. How how did that come about? The way that that started was I was very involved in social media. I joined a company in 2008 called Elf Cosmetics, eyeslipsface.com. And they had no marketing budget, and it was a real challenge to get their name out there. And they had they had done most of it using traditional um, PR methods. Uh, and I came in and started building a social presence for them. And uh, they were they were very used to you know results immediately, direct marketing, click to buy. And and I wouldn't let that happen. I was very protective of the social space. I wanted to build relationships there. I had this strong belief even back in 2008 that this was something that would spread and people would share and it would build your brand and therefore affect sales. So, of course, you know, the owners, I was very lucky. It was a small firm. I didn't have, there was no legal team and I was pretty much free to do a lot of what I wanted. But like any owners, they wanted to know the results and they kept saying to me, so when are we going to be able to promote in this space and what's the ROI? And finally, one day sitting across from them, I, I had been thinking about this idea about relationships And literally in a meeting, when they started pressing me on the return on investment, I just looked at them and said, guys, return on investment is always what you're looking for as an end result. But right now, and for the benefit of our brand, we're looking more at return on relationship. Now, here were two really, you know, very strategic businessmen. They were all about money. And all of a sudden, they went silent. And they just started staring at me. And, and, And they said... Then they looked at me and they said, well, so tell us a little bit more. And I said, well, it's about people sharing and about people feeling good about the brand and your share of voice. And and they said, you know, listen, we really want to hear more about this, um, but our meeting's over and we have somebody else waiting to see us. Can we get back together in a few days and talk about this again? And I was incredibly relieved because I hadn't done any real deep thinking into this idea. And I, I left the office and I immediately went to social media and I went to Twitter at the time. And again, remember, this is probably January 2009. Um, I had maybe 2,000 followers at the time, which was considered a lot. And I tweeted out that, you know, it's not always about return on investment. It's about return on relationship. And within five minutes, I had retweets. I had comments. And this is the way I do a lot of things. I realized I was onto something. So now I realize I have to put a little bit of meat behind this bone or around it. And I started talking about it. And I started sharing with people and I started doing some real thinking about it. And, and that's really how it developed. Because for me, you know, you have Facebook fans, retweets, site visits, video views, positive ratings and communities. But all of this, they're very difficult to measure them as a financial asset. They're not reflected on the balance sheet. And instead of these leading indicators, you know, you have to start thinking about how people make connections, what's important for them. So what I boiled it down to is that simply put, return on relationship is the value that is accrued by a person or a brand due to nurturing a relationship. ROI, return on investment, is simple dollars and cents, whereas return on relationship 
ROR or the hashtag I use R-O-N-R is the value, both perceived and real, that will accrue over time through connection, loyalty, recommendations, and sharing. And truth be told, it is measurable if you look at it in the right way. One of the uh, key things of a relationship is is trust. Um, and, like, you know, we trust our friends, and then we've got other friends that we don't trust, but they're still our friends. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, kind of experts you'll buy from one guy because you trust him more than a shop that he, you, you walk into. There's different levels of trust. Um, what does trust mean to you in this whole online relationship uh, scenario? Let me start by telling you what I like to say to people when they, when they get a little bit frustrated and they say, come on, Ted, what's the ROI of social media? And I like to ask them back, and it's right on point to what you're asking, is what's the ROI of trust and what's the ROI of loyalty, whether it's to a person or a brand. But specifically, since we're probably talking about businesses large and small now, let's talk about a brand. So when you're in the C-suite and you're talking to a a CEO or a CFO, a chief chief executive officer or a chief financial officer or even a chief marketing officer, you know, they don't necessarily understand the words advocacy and how many shares you get and how many likes you have. But what they all understand is the lifetime value of a customer, the average order value, and the frequency of purchase. And to me, every one of these things is tremendously affected by trust, which leads to loyalty. So if someone trusts you, if they feel connected to you, then the odds are they're going to be loyal to you and your products. So, you know, going back to your question of, you know, how do you do this? Well, to me, how do you and I build trust? Right. You, 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 you and I meet. So we've just met now. And hopefully when I come to Ireland, maybe we'll meet face to face and then we'll break bread or, 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 we'll, or we'll go to a pub and, and we'll, we'll share a few and we'll get to know each other. And I'll talk to you and you'll talk to me. And then I might leave and you'll reach out to me and ask me a question. And that's how you build trust. And to me, it's the same way a brand builds trust with a consumer, whether it's through the avenue of the individual people that work for the brand that engage and interact with people, or it's when it's the perception of the brand as a company that interacts, engages, answers questions. I mean, think about that. Most people, at least I find this, and I've, I've had a decent amount of experience. I'm 58 years old, so I'm an old butter, you know, and I've been around for a while. What I've learned is that when people are, have a question or they have a problem, what they want most is for someone to listen to them, to pay attention, to show concern. It's not always necessarily about solving the problem. If it's not solvable, people know some problems are not solvable. An airline loses your bag. No matter how much you complain, it's not going to mysteriously appear today. It's going to take some time. They're going to have to find it. If there's a flight is delayed because of bad weather, no matter how many people yell and scream at at the counter, they're not going to take off. But what, what, what will solve those problems, and a company like JetBlue does this and a few other airlines, is they engage, they answer questions, they explain the problem instead of simply saying we're delayed. They put a smile on their face and they let people know they're accessible. So to me, that's the basis of return on relationship. That's the basis of engagement. Well, I, the problem I see, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 sorry. I was just going to ask, because what you're saying um, makes absolute uh, perfect sense. It's, it's never the problem, in my experience. It's how you deal with the problem. And when you're talking yeah. about relationship and you're talking about building trust, I think a lot of people who run small business 
businesses kind of get that. But JetBlue is a terrific example because it's not a small business. It's got, you right. know, thousands and thousands of employees. And, and you know, you're, you're traveling the work. You're talking about uh, your new book, uh, looking people in the eye digitally. Is this the kind of thing that a large company or corporation with a couple of thousand employees could almost recommend all their employees read and they will get the essence of what you were teaching out of that book? Well, look, everybody has their roadblocks to accepting things. And everybody has a way of saying, well, the small business will say, well, that won't work for us because we don't have enough employees that'll work for the big company. And then the big company says, well, that's way too hard to manage because we don't know what these employees will be saying. So what it really is, like anything else, it's about accepting that there's actually a solution that's scalable, affordable, and works. So what I like to say is that the last few decades of marketing tactics have made all of us, big and small, lazy communicators. Most often, we don't even pay attention to who we're talking to other than via the data we collect. And even that's a maybe. Mm -hmm. And I like to say that in order to fix this, we really need to start to benefit from social relationships. We need to start looking people in the eye digitally. And the way you can do that, whether you're big or small, is you start empowering your employees. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's all about, here's what happens. You even talk to a big company. And they say, well, you know, we're a multinational company, but we only have five people on our social media team. And, and, and we have two million likes on Facebook and we get comments every day. And, and there's no way we can communicate with those people. But I beg to differ. And there's two reasons I beg to differ. First of all, a very, very fractional amount of the people that follow you actually want to engage with you. But many of them do what I call participate vicariously by watching the connections and engagement you have with those who do want to engage with you and become a part of that conversation. So I hear all the time, I'll show up at a conference and someone will say, hey, I saw you and Samantha Kelly talking the other day on Twitter. That was a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much. You know, and I really felt a part of it because they watched the conversation. They observed it. Most people on social are lurkers. So on the one hand, there's way less interactors and engagers that brands think there are. But if you interact and engage with those that are reaching out, very many of the rest feel a part of that, and they feel that if they ever reached out to you, they get the same courtesy. Therefore, you get the benefit of that engagement to a much bigger degree. Essentially, and then what, the other side... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, essentially what you're saying is the world is full of people who are just lurking. <laughs> yes. They're, they're just no, but let me explain to you. They're lurking. Look, think of a cocktail party, okay? When you go to a cocktail party, let's just say it's a big one, there's 200 people in it. Most often, there are pockets of conversation, maybe four or five of them around the room. There's one guy talking, maybe a guy like me, and there's 20 people surrounding him. And there's maybe only one or two of the, of the people out of that 20 who are actually asking questions or participating directly in that conversation. But everybody there feels a part of it. They all walk away feeling like they know Ted. And they got to know these people. And that, to me, is what's happening. So, yes, they're lurkers, but what they are actually doing is they're engaging by watching and feeling a part of it. So in their mind, they're not lurking. In their mind, they're actually a part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. They're just not actually saying anything. 
And then the other thing, the other part I want to add before is that if you empower your employees, in other words, don't just say the five people on the social media team or at a small business, maybe just the owner and one other person, but you encourage the rest of your employees to answer people's questions, to engage with them. And it can be, let me explain to you. Some people get nervous. They go, well, what if they don't have the answers? What if they say something wrong? Well, how about something as simple as how can I help you? So I'll just give you a quick example, if we have a moment for it. I'm a divorced dad. I have two teen. I have my daughters are now 18 and 21. But back when they were 13 and 15, my 15 year old daughter wanted Photoshop. Now she and of course she texted me saying, "Dad, I need Photoshop." And now that's a kind of a question that you really want to have a personal discussion about because it's not a two dollar purchase; it's a hundreds of dollar purchase. So it was an opportunity for me to say to my daughter, "Okay, we got to get off text. I need you to talk to me." She talks to me. She explains to me. She's got really good reasons. As a dad, I go, "Wow, you want to be a photographer? You want to be an artist?" Now, I understand you're going to use that. Great. Let's get you Photoshop. And then she immediately says to me, well, dad, I'm worried that if you do it remotely, mom says, and here comes the divorced dad part, you know, mom says you're going to get a pirated version. I want the real Adobe. I said, great. So why don't you come over and we'll do it? She says, well, it's not your night. I said, well, we're going to buy you the Adobe Photoshop. She comes over to make a long story short. It's almost impossible to download the Adobe Photoshop. If you've ever tried, once you have it, it's awesome. And I couldn't figure it out. And my daughter's getting frustrated. And I call Adobe and I get a customer service line that says they're gone till tomorrow morning. So I go to Twitter and I don't, I don't ridicule. I don't even tag Adobe. I just, because I'm hoping that a friend will help me who knows technology. And I said, having trouble with my daughter downloading Adobe Photoshop, she needs to get home to her mom, help. And within five minutes, I had seven to 10 replies from Adobe employees around the globe. And I'll tell you how incredibly well they were trained. And this takes a lot of money to do. Every one of them said, how can I help you? That's all they have to say. They didn't fix it. They didn't, all they said was, how can I help you? Wow. Imagine that. Who who can't train their employees to say, and then once they knew what my problem was, they directed me to the appropriate person who could answer it instead of trying to solve something they didn't understand. Any business, big or small, could empower their employees to pay attention on social and to say, how can I help you? Or I'm sorry you're having a bad day. Or if there's something that we can do to make this better, just something. And that's what people to me are looking for. And it's so easy to do. And companies are so afraid of doing it. Ted, after listening to you for just 15 minutes, I, I totally get uh, what you're talking about. And one of the things I love about what you're talking about is you're talking about a huge multinational like JetBlue or Adobe with a thousand employees. What you say equally applies to a small company. What you say equally applies to a single person looking for a date. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so I think exactly, it's great. Exactly. So I definitely, you know, I, I would recommend uh, two things. Number one uh, is if you have a chance to read Ted's book, absolutely do. It's called Looking People in the Eye Digitally. Now, how can you forget a title like that? Looking People in the Eye Digitally. Or if you want to see Ted uh, speaking in person, he's going to be in Dublin uh, next Tuesday at the Social Media Summit. And the website for that is socialmediasummit.ie. But for now, Ted Ruman, thank you so much for giving us some of your time.
Ciao. Next week, Barcelona is going to become the centre of the universe with Mobile World Congress happening there from Monday onwards. And no doubt we're going to be bombarded with all kinds of options and brand new phones and things that we must have. So if you're kind of thinking to yourself, you know, yeah, maybe I'm in the market for a new smart smartphone and you're keeping an eye on all these stories for Barcelona and they start spinning your head. And I myself thought that we'd give you a little primer and a couple of tips I want to be thinking about when you're buying a new mobile phone. So, uh, Niall, what kind of are the main items on our list? Yeah, I think it's an important thing because we talk about smartphones so much that you kind of forget that there are an awful lot of specs flying around and maybe people have just gotten a bit lost in them, Mm. Uh, especially if if you haven't bought a phone in a while and you're looking to to upgrade or maybe you're looking for your first sort of flagship smartphone and, uh, you know, it's quite easy to get get a bit lost. So, um, we put together a little a little checklist of the what's what and uh, a couple of benchmarks. Now, uh, I've taken three phones that I would regard as being at the upper end of the market uh, at the moment. Uh, I'm picking the iPhone 6S. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having a look at the Galaxy S6, which you're probably quite interested in as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also put in the HTC One M9, which if I was to buy an Android phone, that would probably be the one that I'd go for. Um, and so we're going to match up a couple of specs and we're going to have a little bit of a chat about what's what, because sometimes the numbers don't quite reflect how good something or, or how bad something actually is. Right. So Before you start, though, all right, uh, the one thing yeah. I would say to anybody and it's the first question I always ask uh, uh, when they say, oh, I think I the phone. What do you think I should get? I always say, what do you want it for? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, getting my mom a HTC M9 is going to be a complete waste of time and money and effort. Um, uh, where she'd be happy with something that would cost 20 quid. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. so it's kind of like, what do you want it for? If it's just calls and texts, don't bother with a smartphone. It's it, it ain't worth it. But if you want to do Facebook and email, well, then maybe you don't need such a you know, maybe you don't need the latest and greatest smartphone. If you want to do the video recording, yeah, or games, yeah, you want to be up there and all that. And then the other thing I find because I bought the uh, uh, you mentioned the iPhone six, the Galaxy six, and the HTC. Uh, I've got the uh, the Note four, and the Note four does like probably a thousand things that I, I neither know of nor need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like you keep getting sold on waterproof and dustproof. It's got 4G. It's got a curved screen at the edge. I mean, do you really need these things? You know, one of the things I really miss on the uh, uh, on the Note 4 is that there's no actual back button. Uh, there was in my last uh, Samsung, there was an actual, like a, a little lighted area or a button or something like that just to move back. And I really miss that. All I have is the home button. Uh, and it's the same. So that, that would be a thing for me. NFC, brilliant uh, piece of tech, tech to have. But do you use NFC as part of your life? If you don't, what's the point? That's, so that's what, that my first thing will be, what do you want the phone for? Have that in your head and then start getting into things like the operating system, size, screen and all the other stuff. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair point, all right. And bear in mind that some sort of sub-smartphones, they will specialise in different things. I mean, if you want a phone with a really good camera and nothing else, there are mid-range phones out there that will just go, here's an, a normal phone with a really good camera plunked into the middle of it. So, yeah, if you have very limited use case, then have a look at the mid-market. You know, you, you'd always need a, a Rolls-Royce to get around the corner to the shops. Absolutely. <laughs> well said, well said, well said. Okay, so what's first on the uh, on the list of specs? 
Okay, well, first up, I mean, you've got to look at uh, basic, basic. What is the phone actually made of and is it enclosed? Because this is a bugbear, I think, of a lot of Samsung users. Uh, if you if you uh, want an iPhone or are an iPhone user, you'll be used to the fact that your materials are aluminium, plastic, and it's a sealed box, basically. Um, there's the little tray at the side for your, your SIM card, but that's it. That's it. It's completely enclosed. And that means you're stuck with the internal storage options that are there. So at the moment, that's um, 16, 64 and 128 gigabytes, which is, uh, you know, if you're downloading a lot of apps, that sort of thing, it's it's plenty. If you're someone that goes absolutely nuts for downloading music, that sort of thing, um, you might want to rein things in a little bit. My but, experience uh, on, the, uh, on the memory that comes with the phones, uh, and this is over a couple of different models I've had over the years, is that the uh, the space that they give you with the phone is generally enough for the operating system to keep the phone ticking over and the apps. But then yeah. if you actually want to have data from games or if you want to take photographs or if you take a lot of videos, I mean, you're pretty much stuffed because there won't be enough space. So uh, that's why my preference is always to go for a phone that either has, you know, really gigantic memory, well, 128 gigs, which you know, is expensive, or a phone that has a, will allow you to add your own SD card and you can keep all your movies and your videos and your photos on that. Indeed. And very often that means you will be looking for a plastic phone because, uh, as you remember, when the Samsung Galaxy S6 came out, they went with uh, an aluminium and glass finish. Mm. And of course, that meant that it was enclosed, which means you couldn't open the back. Uh, it also meant that uh, to swap out the battery, uh, which is another important selling point. Mm. And it also didn't have a separate tray for a micro SD card. Now, I, one of the nice things about sort of one of my other benchmark phones, uh, the HTC One M9, is that even though it had aluminium and glass, it actually did have uh, expandable memory. So you could, you could add up maybe 200 gigabytes of memory through a micro SD card. So that's that's where the benefit is there. Uh, so have a look at the materials first. If it's plastic, the chances are you've got a, a little bit more leeway. Also have a look at the glass on it. If it's Gorilla Glass, uh, that means it'll be able to take a, a, a bit of a pounding. But I still find that I have to buy a, a case for my smartphone. So, you know. A lot of people do. I think it's one of those things they were so brittle when they came out first uh, that people have just got into the habit now of putting in these rigid, which I think is hilarious because Apple spends so much time making sure that the form factor of the actual phone itself is beautiful and then people put them into otter cases. <laughs> it's yeah, insane. Yeah, I do. I do like my OtterBox. Well, there you go. Well, nothing's going to happen to it if it's in there, but, you know, uh, it doesn't look the greatest, I don't think. What else have you got on your uh, on your list? Okay, well, let's have a look at screen size. I mean, it's one of the one of the most obvious things. Uh, but you also need to have a look at the screen size in relation to the actual size of the phone, because you might have a, a screen that is say four four and a half inches or four point seven inches in the case of the iPhone six, uh, but it might have a huge bezel, so that might make it really uncomfortable to carry around in your in your um, in your pocket. Mm. So, uh, for example, the iPhone six measures one thirty eight point three times sixty seven point one times seven point one millimeters and has a 4.7-inch screen. So that's not a huge bezel on it. That's not too bad. Um, Compare it with the Galaxy S6, uh, 143.4 times 70.5 times 6.8 millimeters, but a 5.1-inch screen, which is is that bit more generous. Mm. Um, Having a look then at the HTC One M9, it's slightly bigger again and actually has a slightly smaller screen. It's got a 5-inch screen. So if screen real estate uh, is your thing, probably the Galaxy S6 is is more important to you. You also got to look at weight. I mean, you're going to be 
lumping this thing around. And depending on what it's made out of, that can be a, a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, oddly enough, out of the three that I was looking at, the Galaxy S6 is the um, lightest despite um, having the biggest screen on it. It's a, it weighs 138 grams versus mm. the iPhone 6 is 143 and the 1M9 is 158. So uh, you got to look at that sort of thing as well. One other interesting stat that I find is the amount of memory that smartphones are packing these days. I remember getting uh, my last MacBook Pro in 2008, I'm going to say it was. It came with two gigabytes of RAM. Mm-hmm. I knew, that yeah, of course, now, that's standard in a phone now, isn't it? That's, that's what's packed into the iPhone 6. Now, if you, <laughs> the Galaxy S6 comes with three megabytes of RAM. You know, you can run you can run actual computers off these phones if you so wish. That was one of the really impressive things about the Linux phone when it came out. That all you had to do was sit it in a cradle, and it was the one it was the one system where whether you wanted to use it as a desktop or or as a smartphone or indeed as a tablet. As I, I think we had the Asus. Oh, what was the name of the um, the uh, IdeaPad? That was hmm. it, the Asus idea. Um, so. People love their cameras, do they not? Do you get hung up over what kind of camera is in your phone? I don't because I'm not. Um, uh, I'm not really. I'm, I'm terrible at taking pictures, but I do like. I do like taking pictures, and I have a good camera, and I take some really, really good pictures on it. Uh, my good lady wife, though, uses the camera on her phone all the time, taking pictures of kids and nephews and uh, brothers and sisters and places we've been and uh, uh, whatever. Even jars of coffee to remind her to buy some next time she's in the supermarket. <laughs> but I mean, no, she's she is properly using the camera on that phone like really really well and, and we've we've printed off some amazing photographs that she's taken uh, and we have them on the walls all over the house and it's brilliant uh, and this is what I say like you know she's got a, a 32 gig uh, uh, iPhone but it's full it's full of just photographs Mm, so yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah, I think the uh, uh, I actually think that when you when you get past the, the the size of the screen because that will dictate the size of the phone. I think the next and most important thing for people really is the camera. I think so, yeah, and it's very easy to get carried away uh, when it comes to uh, things like zoom and that sort of thing mm. uh, with cameras. Because bear in mind that you know the lens on a smartphone camera actually isn't very good. Now, you know, that's a, one, th- one thing about Zoom is that I, I never, ever take any of that uh, Zoom into account with a smartphone camera because the only way to Zoom with a camera is with an actual optical lens, like a lens on a, on a proper real camera, if you like, that will literally move in and out physically as you were zooming in on something. A smartphone camera can't do that. So just forget yeah, exactly. it. Yeah, yeah. The, the equivalent is watching something happen and then looking at a picture of something that has happened and then squinting at it. Yeah. <laughs> that, so, I mean, uh, di- digital zoom is a bit of a con job. If you, if you really want to take uh, zoom images using a smartphone, you need to get an external mm-hmm. lens. And some of them aren't actually that expensive. You can get an auto clip, say, for about uh, 50 euro and they just mm-hmm. clip onto the top of your iPhone and you can, you can see things pretty well or, through it. Or do you know what that? Sony do and it's uh, quite neat is they have a a little separate camera uh, that connects to your smartphone via Wi-Fi so they create their own little kind of Wi-Fi network Uh, and what you do is you are able to control the Sony camera and it's like a proper uh, DSLR camera and zoom in optically and out optically and you can move it away from you and stuff like that it's it's, it's all you're almost using your smartphone uh, to remote control a camera does that make sense? Yeah, and I've seen it at work, and it is a, a wonderful device. It's, it's a really good. Thing. Yeah, if you're, but I think that that negates the whole uh, um, 
portability of mobile phones because now you're carrying around two bits of tech. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Uh, one very important thing is not to get too hung up on megapixels. People get hung up on megapixels and it just becomes a phone number after a while. I agree. The iPhone... The iPhone comes with 12 megapixels, the Galaxy S6 with 16, the HTC One with uh, 13 megapixels. At this stage and at the level of photography people have, their their telephone numbers, it Mm. really doesn't matter. These things will look after themselves. Um, Again, the best advice, if you really are that interested in uh, iPhoneography or mobile um, or photography through a mobile phone, Get yourself a lens and okay. you'll be far happier for it. Okay, okay. So we've got the uh, the size of the screen. Uh, we have the camera, which is probably the, the next most important thing. And we've talked about the actual shape of the phone, whether you're able to take in and out batteries and stuff like that and extra memory. What about the operating system? How important is that on your radar? Well, we're actually in agreement when it comes to iOS. Uh, iOS is up to version 9 at the moment. Uh, basically, if, if, you know, you're... Apple work on this principle in design called Housewives in Des Moines. It's like if a housewife in Des Moines can use your your gadget, you've done a good job. You know, if you can just put it into somebody's hand and with no prior knowledge of how something works, they can get it to work, that's it. And the iPhone is that device. Regardless of it being a fashion accessory or anything like that, it is the easiest smartphone to use. And that's by design and that's absolutely great. Android is up to version 6 Marshmallow. Um, are you running Marshmallow on your Galaxy Note? And if you're not, not. I can no. tell you why. No, no I'm not. Uh, and part of the reason for that is Samsung has probably said, you know what, you don't need this, so we're not actually going to roll it out. And it's one of the great weaknesses of Android that there are so many versions of it still floating around in the ether and so many different smartphones running on it. I so, actually, um, yeah, you're right. The, the one thing I have to, and again, I have to compliment Apple. My God, I'll be sending a, a letter to them shortly. Um, is that because they've got such a, a, a limited range of phones, Okay, so you got the four, the five, and the six, and the whatever the variations of that. There's less than what ten, maybe fifteen different types of phones that they have. Because oh, much fear, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of that, they're able to actually write their software for those specific phones, and they're able to update them and keep them updated longer with the newer systems. Whereas, as you say, even even with Samsung alone, never mind all the other manufacturers of of Android phones, Samsung alone must have. 20, 30, 40 different variations of phones and they're not going to rewrite the code for all of them. So if you want to keep up to date, staying within the walled garden of someone like Apple is actually the smarter thing to do. Uh, yeah, and it's pretty frustrating, especially people that are advocates of Android, which is, a, you know, there, there's a reason it's the most used mobile uh, smartphone system in the world. Mm. You know, it, it is good software, but it's just that fragmentation is a real Achilles heel of it. Then, of course, you, you get, sorry, people who are using Windows Phone 10, which is really underpopulated, but I think it will come good with um, Continuum, which is that single development process where uh, an app that you develop for a phone will end up working the exact same on a desktop. So uh, I, I think when that rolls out as a feature uh, across all Windows 10 devices, I think I think it will come good. Then there's poor sorry BlackBerry who have turned to making Android phones and might be getting out of making phones completely. Oh, well, that's 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 for another day. Tell me about uh, buying the actual phone itself, because most people are used to buying their phone from whoever is their mobile service provider. But more and more people and particularly people in our business would tend to buy SIM free. Uh, where, where, where do you see on the buying into Vodafone and having a two year long contract or having to pay up for the phone in full up front, but having it SIM free? 
Yeah, well, one of the interesting things when you're buying a phone is to tot up the total cost of ownership because you might be on a really good deal now with an old phone. You, you might want to preserve that deal. So do this, an awful lot of these smartphone deals, they will lock you in for 18 months or two years. So tot up how much you're actually going to pay um, in your bill uh, mm-hmm. plus the cost of the phone and then compare that to your existing bill and, uh, and a SIM-free phone. You might find that the deal that you're on now uh, with a SIM-free phone will be cheaper than your upgraded phone with the new, with the new price plan that the, that your operator Actually. will want to foist upon you. My my general experience, and I'm with Vodafone since I was born, um, is that they will lock you into a tier contract and uh, if you're getting the free phone from them, it'll be €480 Euro is what you're, you're paying an extra 20 quid a month, so that's €480 Euro over two years. And if you're buying a really, really expensive phone, they'll say, well, that's only 200 euro to buy the phone and 20 quid extra a month <laughs> so yeah. I find it's much better just just pay up for it. do you know the other thing that rattles around my head uh, that people kind of think that I'm um, they don't they never realise this when they're buying a phone alright I tend to go sim free because here's how I think I think okay that phone is going to cost me 700 euro to buy now I am most likely going to sell that phone in 12 months time and I will probably get maybe 400 quid for it. Okay. All right. So that phone is actually going to cost me 300 quid for the year. That's that's a pretty good way of looking at it. And that is to have the latest, greatest, dolled up, smacked up with all the uh, uh, features kind of phone sitting in your pocket. And then I get rid of it and then I move on to the, uh, uh, on to the next one. That's one of the ways that I look at it. And then another way that I often say to people, uh, because not everybody has got, is, is into tech like you and I were, and they don't want to spend their money on a, on a stupid phone. I often suggest to people, well, go buy a secondhand one. Buy an yeah. iPhone 4 secondhand or buy an iPhone 5 secondhand because you will get some terrific deals online. You will, absolutely. There, uh, you know, if you go on to adverts.ie or eBay or even Computer mm. Exchange on the high street, there are plenty of places you can get secondhand smartphones. Absolutely. So that's it uh, on, uh, on smartphone. Any other tips to, uh, to, to pass on? Uh, I think that's the guts of it covered. Just if you are looking to future-proof your experience, and this is one of the reasons why my mobile phone provider of choice sort of has me a bar- over a barrel at the moment, is to get yourself a 4G smartphone and a 4G price plan because they are all going to be 4G at some stage. All right. Okay. Good advice. Now, next week, we've got Mobile World Congress happening in Barcelona. Of course, we're going to hear you all about the new phones. Da, 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 da. Uh, what should we, what are, what are the one, two stories we should be keeping an eye out for? Uh, well, personally, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for the new releases from Samsung and LG. All right. Okay. Uh, the S7. I wonder what's going to, do you think they're going to roll back on the S7 and actually allow a SD card to be put into it or even allow a, uh, a battery to swap out the battery? I wonder. Oh, is the well, one. I, I, I don't know if they are or not, but I'll tell you the one thing that I find, sorry, my, my tip on, 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 on smartphones and stuff like that is it doesn't happen in this country often, but when you're on holidays or if you work abroad, uh, where it's a sunny location, you need to have your brightness up full all day long in order to see what's on the phone. And of course, that kills your battery. So being able to, you know, open up the back of the phone and stick in a spare battery, I think is just a fantastic feature. Sorry. I'm going to stop now. Yes. Okay, we, we could go on about phones. But we we could not. do, we could do. Listen, that is it for uh, uh, this week. Now, one more thing on the website that we weren't able to get to on the show today. What have you got? 
Uh, yep, there's a great little story up there about some work being done at the University of Southampton, which ties in quite nicely to Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Really? As in, like, up at the North Pole and sticking crystals in tubes and then all kinds of things start appearing, yeah? I will say no more. Go on to techcentral.ie and find out. Oh, my God, I tell you, I will. Uh, also on the website, you can keep in touch with Irish Tech News. There's hourly updates for you there, daily newsletters, of course, and more. Techcentral.ie is where you'll get it, as well as our weekly tech radio show online. And every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall at Tech Central HQ, thanks for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or Download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.